When I retired, with lots of newfound available time, I enjoyed many travel opportunities. This podcast may encourage you to visit, revisit, or experience virtual armchair travel, learning about exciting new venues. Travel is an excellent vehicle for lifelong learning. Welcome to the What Travel Writers Say podcast number 14. I'm Mike Keenan, your host, and today we examine the amazing city of Montreal, Quebec, where the food scene is as delightfully diverse as its multicultural inhabitants. 80 languages are spoken here, and its celebrated gastronomic delights far exceed Montreal's prized smoked meat at Schwartz's Deli and the high-quality bagels at either St. Viator Bagel or the Fairmont. In fact, Montreal boasts the highest number of restaurants per capita in Canada, in North America, second only to the Big Apple, New York City. The problem, with a few days available to any casual visitor, how best to acquire an overview? The solution? Take the old Montreal food tasting and cultural walking tour that features not only historic landmarks, but also locales where Montrealers dine. We start at 433 McGill Street at Brit and Chips, reportedly Montreal's best fish and chip shop, where our guide, Darren Shore, greets a motley group from Boston, Bar Harbor, Winnipeg, and Niagara. He points out the Grand Trunk Railroad building across the street, once owned by Charles Melville Hayes, who perished aboard the doomed Titanic. He also explains what looks like a giant tuning fork sculpture, a demarcation of the historic fortress wall that once surrounded early Montreal, where Champlain set up a fur trading post named Place Royale. While Canada celebrates its 150th birthday this year, Montreal celebrates its 375th anniversary. Inside the Clean Bright restaurant, we sample classic cod and chips. They also offer haddock, salmon, sole, and hake. Prices are reasonable and the service is superb. Next, we hang a left on St. Paul Street and enter Chef Halino Lorello's Cantina de Lisboa, popular eat-in and take-out Portuguese market and cafe, where we experience authentic caldo verde, Portuguese green soup with a fresh garbanzo salad. Lorieros cookbook and colorful Portuguese ceramics are featured, as well as freshly baked breads and pastries, artisanal charcuterie and cheese. Shelves are stocked with homemade gourmet items and unique unique condiments selected by Helena during her travels through Portugal. I noticed the pastillas de nata custard. When I was in Portugal, it was a delectable dessert to die for. We take another left on St. Pierre and arrive at Crew Labs Collective and Café, formerly Montreal's historic Royal Bank. It's akin to entering a cathedral with vaulted ornate ceilings. Now it's a convenient and exceptional place to meet and work. Coffee shop is set in front of the collective offices with private rooms on the left and right sides of the dining area available for rent at $25 per hour. I enjoy a delicious aioli spread sandwich along with a freshly brewed coffee. Pastries and fruits are also available. 
Around the corner on St. Jacques Street, we head into Cookie Stephanie for a gluten-free, refreshingly moist carrot cake with a generous topping of homemade cream cheese icing on top. Coffee or specialty tea is available here. The neighboring former Imperial Bank of Commerce, with its ornate Corinthian columns, anchors the street, and it is now employed for rentals. Place d'Armes, a French term for where city defenders assemble, is our next stop, an historic square that features a monument to Paul de Chaumadet, Montreal's founder, the Notre Dame Basilica, St. Sulpice Seminary, New York Life Building, Alfred Building, Bank of Montreal Head Office, and 500 Place d'Armes. This is a departure point for clashes offering romantic horse-drawn tours of old Montreal. Darren informs us that church attendance has dropped off such that the basilica's primary funding is the $5 entrance fee from tourists who want to see where famous Quebecers such as Céline Dion are married and Montreal Canadian superstar Maurice Rocket Richard and Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau were given state funerals. As we trek south parallel to the St. Lawrence River, across the water we recognize the Montreal biosphere, Buckminster Fuller's geodesic dome, the former U.S. pavilion at the 1967 World Fair or Expo 67. There is Habitat 67, the housing complex designed by Israeli-Canadian architect Moish Safti, and a new item, Boda Boda, an upscale spa on the riverfront. Turning back on McGill Street, we arrive at Bistro Brasserie Les Sur Gris, a casual brew pub named after the Grey Nuns. I enjoy a local craft beer with cheese pairings. Darren tells us that Marguerite Duville, the founder, was accused of luring the poor with a cellar filled with alcohol. Nevertheless, the drunk sisters chose grey habits as a sign of humility. They occupy a large and valuable building close to the waterfront. Our last stop is Soup Soup, a bright inviting lunch spot which offers locally sourced food inside a large converted warehouse. In a relaxed atmosphere, we enjoy a Quebecois classic, Pudding Chumer. Irresistibly delicious and addictively habit-forming, Pudding Chumer, unemployment pudding or poor man's pudding, was created by female factory workers during Quebec's Great Depression. Today it's served with maple syrup as a regional dessert, and it's often offered at regional sugar shacks. Beyond the eclectic food tour, we also severed a seven-course tasting meal at Chez L'Epicier, a French restaurant gracing old Montreal's romantic narrow streets and fascinating shops. For the past ten years, Chez L'Epicier's chef, Laurent Goodbau, has accumulated numerous culinary prizes and awards, and his creations, served to us, resembled miniature works of art. The third course was my favorite, Icelandic cod, with celeriac risotto, rice milk emulsion, pine nuts, and parmesan tile, coupled with Sonoma County's Hobo Wine Company's 2014 Chardonnay. Our waiter and sommelier, Julian, impressed us with his spot-on choices of Niagara, French, Californian, and Quebecois wine, and cider pairings from an extensive wine menu. We stayed for two nights at L'Adresse du Centre Ville B&B, an 1875 home located in Montreal. Montreal's Latin Quarter, one of TripAdvisor's top 10 rated Montreal B&Bs, within walking distance to Vio Montreal and Place des Arts in the downtown area, where we took in an exceptional performance by the Montreal Symphony Orchestra, featuring gifted pianist Denis Matsuev. 
we were served Quebecois-style breakfast, coffee, juice, bread pudding, with four tasty homemade condiments, followed by scrambled eggs with sprouts and herbs. On our second day, we enjoyed tiny waffles with pure maple syrup and medallions of apple and fig. La Dresse du Centre Ville B&B has an exceptional hostess named Natalie. Where else do you get someone so diligent who, when you arrive, jumps into your car and helps to steer you around the congested block, not once but twice, in order to secure a prime parking spot not occupied by those with stickers who actually live on the street that's good for the entire weekend? The convenient Latin Quarter address is within walking distance to both the Vieux Montreal and the Place des Arts in the downtown area. Going downtown, one may take raucous St. Catherine Street or the more sedate Maisonneuve Boulevard, and at night enjoy projections cast against large building facades. At the bottom of the street is the Berry Uquam subway station, a hub for the four different lines. We bought three-day passes there, which turned out to be an economical way Way to travel. There is also a well-stocked convenience store there where we purchased a few beers to take back to the B&B to watch the Leafs Canadiens hockey game. The projections that night featured Maurice the Rocket Richard and stylish center Jean Beliveau, who once captained the Habs. We stayed another two comfortable nights at the Marriott Spring Hill Suites in the heart of Old Montreal, where they served a daily delicious hot and cold complimentary breakfast. Each night we heard the bells toll from the nearby Basilica. The hotel is smoke-free and parking is $28 per diem. We were lodged in room 515, a superior king, one of 124 suites. Our comfortable room was quite spacious with a separate area for the bed with an extra TV and another area for relaxing with a couch and table and a 32-inch plasma screen television. Just inside the door was a much appreciated workspace area with an ergonomic chair and free Wi-Fi. A bonus was the kitchenette with mini-fridge, microwave, coffee maker, and sink. What else? A selection of Paul Mitchell bath and body products and a two-line telephone with voicemail. We also had a terrace with a view of old Montreal, but it was too cold and it snowed the second day, creating a lovely white carpet. Not used by us was a laundry facility on the third floor, a fitness room and a pool on the first level, and a business center on the lobby level. Here they take their smoke-free environment seriously, indicating that a $250 fee will be charged if you smoke in your room. The service was excellent, the staff cordial, efficient, and prepared to offer meal and venue suggestions. I really enjoyed the Superior King Room, a large and inviting space after a day of walking through the charming old town. The rates range from $169 to $299 in peak season. While in Montreal, we visited the Museum of Fine Arts, which had opened a brand new pavilion. It's Montreal's largest museum and spread across five pavilions, with buildings on both sides of the street connected underground. The expansion makes it the 18th largest art museum in North America. The addition, the Pavilion for Peace, is devoted to international art and education. The permanent collection includes approximately 42,000 works, but we attended primarily to see the Robert Maplethorpe 1946-1989 exhibit. He is regarded as one of the most influential photographers of the 20th century, renowned for his compositions and subjects with new thoughts on questions of gender, race, and sexuality. Tracing the artist's entire career from his early production in the late 1960s to his death in 1989, the exhibition features close to 300 works that shed new light on the key genres that he pursued, portraiture, the nude, and the still life. 
Natalie Bondill, director and chief curator of the MMFA, characterizes him as this. Maplethorpe was a powerful artist. Few bodies of work have created such a stir beyond the art world, for he brought social taboos out into the open. Armed with a razor-sharp aesthetic sense and a vast visual culture, he put on display three taboos of American society, violence, homosexuality, and interracial relationships, whose scars remain even today. Maplethorpe forced a debate, one that has a long history and still goes on, about artistic but especially social censorship. His work, so current in its commitment, could only reinforce the values of tolerance and openness that I want the museum to convey. The museum notes inform us that Robert Maplethorpe was born in Queens in 1946 and grew up in a middle-class Catholic household. In 1967, he enrolled at the Pratt Institute, where he majored in advertising before switching to graphic design. At first, he conformed to masculine norms, but like many young people of his generation, he gravitated towards the counterculture, attracted by a glimpse of alternative lifestyles. Not yet a photographer himself, he appropriated photographic imagery from publications and advertisements, manipulating them, spray-painting over them, and incorporating them into collages. Already he was revealing both his iconoclastic tendencies and his pragmatic determination to make art despite having little money to spend on supplies. Patty Smith, his close friend, immediately recognized his talent and ambition. When Maplethorpe took up the camera, a borrowed Polaroid in 1970, he realized that photography was the perfect medium for him. He died at age 42, diagnosed HIV positive in 1986. His black and white photographs seem strikingly minimalist to me, and his portraiture seems starkly bare. His obsession with the male phallus eventually becomes comical in his obvious repetitive attempt to shock, and the museum astutely employs several walls of media cartoons that document this attempted shocking of conservative views of sexuality. I'm glad that I took the exhibit in. His own picture reminded me of James Dean, the offbeat American actor who also died quite young. In 2017, Montreal will offer diverse, exciting events throughout its anniversary year celebrations, and the food served here is certainly the icing on the cake. If you would like to read my published travel articles about Montreal, check out my website, whattravelwriterssay.com. And if you would like to view countless pictures taken, visit my Pinterest boards at pinterest.com backslash mustang6648 backslash. Once again, my website is located at whattravelwriterssay.com and my photos are located at pinterest.com backslash mustang6648 backslash. If you have any questions or comments, contact me at mjk6648 at gmail.com. That's mjk6648 at gmail.com. We conclude each podcast with an appropriate travel quote. Today it's from Maya Angelou, American poet, memoirist, and civil rights activist. Perhaps travel cannot prevent bigotry, but by demonstrating that all peoples cry, laugh, eat, worry, and die, it can introduce the idea that if we try and understand each other, we may even become friends. Thanks for listening and happy travels to you. Tune in next week for another What Travel Writers Say podcast.